and welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Join my father and I as we discuss relevant and meaningful ideas and values inspired by the weekly Torah portion. Our goal is to open our discussion to you in the hopes that it will give you something to think and reflect on, as well as be another interesting conversation that you can have with your family, friends, and peers. So let's delve right in. And we're back with another episode after a couple hot seconds of not being around. Um, so this week, we're actually recording for last week's Parsha of B'Shalach. And we are going to talk about food. Because food is fun to talk about. Food is good. <laughs> so why don't you give everyone some context? <laughs> <laughs> well, food is a major part of our lives. And... Our attitudes towards food um, very often determine a lot of other things, or at least they're reflective of, uh, they reflect on the way we deal with other things in our lives. It's a major aspect of our life. Yeah. Can't eat, you can't live without food. It's, uh, we have a relationship to what we eat that we very often don't pay attention to. And uh, that's the idea, to discuss a little bit what our attitudes are towards eating, how important it is, and a little bit of insight from, from what the Torah discusses in the context of man, which is a discussion about food. It is a discussion about food. Oh, we were talking about a little bit before we sat down to make this happen. Um, yesterday we went on a walk and we were talking about how sometimes too much of anything um, is a bad thing. Um, we were talking about that a little bit. And then when we were talking about Mun this morning, um, it seemed to connect to me those two ideas of, again, we have this divine substance, because I don't know exactly what it was, falling from the sky. Um, and we all had exactly what we needed and there was always enough and there was a, I think it's a midrash right that says that it could taste like anything that you wanted it's almost like I don't want to say the elixir of life but it was just this incredible substance that is everything that you need and there's never any lacking and yet the people find reason to complain and how they start complaining for about very basic things that they used to have in Egypt. Cucumbers and That's not really this parsha, but whatever. It wasn't? I thought no. it was the end of I thought it was the no, end of this. No, it's in the middle of Chukas. No. This week's this week's parsha is just the, the beginning of the of them trying to figure out what this food is. Ah, the complaining comes later? Yeah. Ah, see that's what happens when you don't read the parsha all the way through. Yeah, it's about, it's about them trying to figure out what to do with this stuff. And that, and that the, um, the lechem that Moshe calls it, this, the, the, the bread, which we, we translate as bread, that comes down from the heavens, is, has laws that come together with it. So you're not supposed to leave it over. Whatever you pick for one day is what you eat that day, and you don't leave it over for the next day. You don't like have leftovers. Mm-hmm. You know, like put it in the fridge and have some yesterday's man the day afterwards. Okay. The other thing is you don't, you're not supposed to go out on the, sh- on the Sabbath and to collect any. To collect any. Uh-huh. Right, so there's, there is a day 
that you do eat yesterday's, which is Friday. Friday you pick twice, so that you have from Friday for, for Shabbos. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So it's like, it's like one law is the opposite of the other. One law is don't eat yesterday's food, except on Sabbath where you're supposed to eat yesterday's food. Mm-hmm. Right? So what's, the, what's that idea? What, what, is that, what does that perhaps symbolize? When it comes to eating food, hmm. it's interesting. Just as as you're mentioning it to me, what automatically comes up about not storing food is just surrendering the ability to be in control of what you're eating or when you're eating or how much you're eating. Um, I'm right. thinking. I'm thinking about the way <laughs> our food system works. Like our food. Thank God the fridge is always full, and there's always like, oh, just stick in the fridge. We'll have it tomorrow or the day next to this, and then you have to throw out leftovers from two weeks ago. Right. <laughs> um, but there's definitely this desire to know that whatever it is that you're going to want is going to be available for when you want it. Right. Um, and I could imagine that the sensation would have been pretty weird to feel like it's not really up to you if you want to eat this tomorrow or in three hours from now <laughs> right so that's, a, that's the time a, is now that's a good idea that that's part i think that's part of the idea that's trying to be conveyed which is the existence in the desert was supposed to be an existence where where the people were um being introduced to what it means to live with god's presence so if you really trust in god god will give you what you need so therefore, don't do anything unnecessary to try to show that you're in charge. Like stick it in the refrigerator so that whatever you were able to grab today, you're going to have tomorrow because you saved it today. Which sounds a little strange because normally that's like sounds prudent. Mm-hmm. You know, you should save stuff. But you have you took man, you know, and supposedly the man that you took was what you needed, right? Mm-hmm. The pasuk says that that whatever they they received is what they were supposed to get. In other words, whatever there was out there to eat, that's what they had needed for that day. So what a person would have to do is like would have to limit what they want to eat today so that they'll have for tomorrow. In other words, really you want to eat that other piece of mana that's in front of you. But you'd have to say, well, I'm worried about tomorrow, so I'm going to restrict what I want to eat today, what I need today, so that I'll have it for tomorrow. I'm a little bit confused now, sorry. I thought every day, man falls, yeah. every day f- fresh. Yes, but the point so, is, is that what would be going through a person's mind if they would say, I want to save for tomorrow? Why would they do that? Oh, because, right, because you want to make sure that you have what you need. Right, but the how next much day. do they have? In other words, what you were talking about are having leftovers is because there's too much that's being served. Mm-hmm. It's not, an, it's, it's, it's very hard to know how much, so it's better, the people that live in our house believe that it's better to err. I mean, most people believe, I think, that it's better to err on the side of too much than too little because you don't want to be stuck with not enough food for your guests, right? Mm-hmm. But if, you, if, if you're God's guest in the desert, and the the story is letting us is trying to make us feel that God is inviting you to His table, right? So He's giving you what you need. He's not giving you more than you need. He's not giving you less than you, what you need. He's giving you what you need. Mm-hmm. That's your daily doses that you get. So, so when it comes to you, 
for you to want to save tomorrow, you have to say that if it's not for me, I'm going to be hungry tomorrow. If I don't do something, I'm going to be hungry tomorrow. I'm worried about tomorrow. Meaning there's a lacking of belief that God will give you what you need today and tomorrow and the day after that. That Just like you had what you needed today, tomorrow you will also. So don't be worried about tomorrow and restrict what you need today so that you'll have for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is in itself interesting, which is something that we think there's, I think if you ask yourself, you probably feel that there is some value to that. Like the problem is we just don't have clear exactly what we need. So we feel like, well, if I'm hungry today, maybe it's better if I just don't eat what I want or what I need or what I maybe think I need so that I'll have it tomorrow. In this existence, it's that if you believe that God will provide, so then if this is really what you need and if you're being honest with yourself, you're hungry, you know, your body is telling you that you need it, let's say. Um, you're somewhat in, in control of, you know, if you imagine you're living a Spartan existence anyway, you're in the desert. So you're there and you're eating what there is to eat. So I'm like, so, but the thing is that the difference over here is that Moshe said there was, a, there was an understanding that whatever was coming to you was exactly what you needed. Mm-hmm. Right? It wasn't like, it wasn't like a Yiddish mama, you know, coming and dropping some food at your, you know, it's like, you know, fish and chicken and this, and it's all jumped, you know, on your doorstep. It's like, it, you could have looked at it like it's not enough, and you could have looked at it like it's too much, whatever it was, but it's, you're, how are you going to know, really? You're be, so you're being told, whatever it is there is what you need. Mm-hmm. It's like, the closest thing I can imagine, I always think about it is like, when you go up into space... I don't know, you know, you have this, you ever watch those, I don't know what they eat in the, these days, but when I was a kid, food. right, they have these kits of like dehydrated food in these little bags. Sounds horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but you're eating to exist, really. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly, you know, it's proportioned according to the day and how many days you're going to be there. And it's, you know, you just, whatever there is, there is. And you don't eat what there is for tomorrow, today. And you don't save for tomorrow either because... In space, I don't think you can do that anyway. I think once you open the package, you have to like slurp it out. Otherwise, it starts floating around. I don't don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure. But it's like kind of like that feeling that that this um, that that's being messaged over here. And that's that's the point of the first thing. Now, when it comes to Shabbat, so Shabbat is like okay on Arab Shabbat, you need to have a double portion, you need to, you're going to get a double portion, you don't have to go collect it. In other words, whatever, the people had this feeling that whatever was being given was being given double. And that's what the Pasuk says, that they came to Moshe, they said, well, there was like a double amount. And Moshe says, yeah, well, that's because tomorrow you're not supposed to go out. Mm-hmm. That means that it's like an extra dose of like belief, extra dose of um extra dose of uh, uh, trust in God, right? Because there's a day you're not even going to go out to eat. You, you feel that escalation? You feel that, like, why it's a more intense trust? Because you're not even going to be able to go out and eat anything. So mm-hmm. That means whatever was given to you yesterday is also for tomorrow. So even though the whole time I've been telling you, don't save today for tomorrow... But there's going to be a day that you're going to get double so that you can have for tomorrow. 
So it kind of like keeps you on your toes. It throws you off there a little bit. Right, it keeps you on your toes. It's like, well, well, what is it? Are we supposed to be worried about tomorrow or are we not supposed to be worried about tomorrow? So God says, no, you're not supposed to be worried tomorrow. Whatever you need, you'll get, right? Except one day. On one day, nothing happens. On, on the Shabbat, nothing happens. Nothing comes down because that's a higher, that's a higher value. There's a value of uh, instilling in you that there's a day called Shabbat, which, which announces to the world that even though you're, being, you know, you're getting fed, so to speak, by God, but there's a day that you need to even be on a higher level and understand that God created the world, right? So, so in order to testify that God created the world, there's a day that nothing happens, right? Because so you shouldn't think, so you shouldn't think that whatever's happening is some kind of, some kind of an automatic pilot, mm. right? It's like why we have Shabbat, because right. we have Shabbat where nothing happens because otherwise. Even if a person feels very blessed, but once the, it turns into a routine and there's never a break, right. so then you start thinking that, well, the routine is really me and it's not really God. Hmm. It's like that conscientious stop that allows for a person to step back and come to terms with what is and what isn't and almost like um, shift things so that they make sense again. When you like run, 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 things start like shifting and your mind starts thinking separately and things start meshing. And then Shabbos is like that one where you can kind of like sit down and let everything settle. The dust settles and you can kind of rearrange things again in the way that make Or, or sense a routine and... breaker. I, I like to call it a routine. It's a routine breaker. A routine, routine could be your greatest enemy or it could be great, mm-hmm. right? Gives you a sense of uh, security. But the sense of security can turn into a sense of, of self-sufficiency, which isn't mm-hmm. really true, which is the Torah saying that it's not, it's not you. Um, ultimately, it is you uh, with God, but you, you can't forget that factor. Right. Um, so I, I find that you know, it reminds me of um, great educators who <clears throat> are able to balance things in a way where they're always surprising you. You know, they'll tell you one thing and then all of a sudden they think you think that they're doing something totally contrary to what they just said. But they're just, they're doing it so that you should be on your toes. You know, right? They keep you on your toes. They'll tell you things that seem to be contradictory, but really they're teaching you something else or something complementary. I, I find that's a very, it's an ingenious thing. It's like, you know, don't, I'm going to give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. But there's one day where you have to not do anything. Um, on a, uh, and, and you know, not go out and pick your food because, and you're going to have actually the contrary. Everything that you need today will be from yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, what? so it's like that feeling of like you're really when you're, it's ingenious. It's like you re- you really become dependent. It's on a system like that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's like even today when we keep Shabbat, we're supposed to do that where you prepare on Friday. All the things you need for Shabbat, and that's, and uh, you know the whole idea of like a cholent, you know, of having a hot food on Shabbat, which is what you would want to eat anyway. It's nice hot food is actually prepared yesterday. Mm-hmm. So whereas normally you'd go into the kitchen and fry yourself something hot, or cook yourself something hot, or cook yourself a soup. This is from yesterday, right? 
it's just a little bit harder for us to... Right, we're so used to it already. Because we're doing mm -hmm. it ourselves, again. So it's, again, another routine. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, you know, you lose the... But in, in that very intense moment of living in the desert, in those, in those years, it must have been super, super intense, right? It's like... Mm -hmm. and, the t and the truth of the matter is the story goes in the Torah that there were people that actually didn't, they couldn't handle it. In both occasions, they, they left over stuff from one day to the other and it rotted because it was intended not, to, it was like it had an expiration date of one day mm -hmm. and it started rotting. And then the same people went out on the Sabbath to go collect. Like they just didn't get the program. Right. You know. It's interesting though, because thinking about it again, in this light of it being this thing of dependence and also being a foodie myself and knowing how much I like planning my food, thinking about what I'm going to eat and how I'm going to eat it and which way I'm going to want to eat it. It's, uh, I could understand more that, that nervousness or that propensity to want to just like, just make sure that you got it all covered, that it's, that you have it your way, that it's, it's a really, it, it's a control thing at the end of the day. And I, I hear how it could be so hard to let go of that. Um, desire to just want to be on it. Right. Yeah. So it, I, I think in our situation, um, probably these reflect attitudes that we have where the, there are those that feel that um, food, which is basically a symbol of what we provide ourselves with, providing, providing making money, bringing home the bacon, right? So mm -hmm. that we can eat, right? Which is the basic need, right? Putting, as we say, you know, you go out to work so that you can put food on the table. All the other stuff, you know, in, in other societies, in other times, in other, his, in other moments of history didn't exist. Like the people planning on vacation. There was no such thing like, you know, extras, luxuries. The idea is you went to work so that you could exist, so you could live, right? So as, using that as a base, when a person needs to provide for themselves, um, there are those that feel that in order to provide and in order to be responsible, we need to, you know, think about tomorrow. We need to worry about tomorrow. We need to, you know, we need to make sure that there's a lot so that there's never worry about tomorrow. We would call that prudence, I think. Right. We, we, we would say that that's what you're intent to do. Like, that's why, you know, in a simple world like that, you know, we're just like hunter-gatherer dudes who are just going out there to make sure that they have what to eat. So the gatherer goes out to, to get a job and, and, you know, make money and bring it home. So he's, you know, he wants to make sure that he has for a year to eat. You know, and he has two years to eat. Nobody would ever think, well... It's like hand to it's like hand to mouth, you know. I go out, I make what I need today. So we have what to eat today, and tomorrow's tomorrow. You know, to to even think that way would be like crazy. Right. We're totally, you know, we're we're totally configured to to imagine life as being um, much much too precarious to to imagine living such a thing. I mean, the the whole system is not doesn't allow for such a thing. Only poor people would do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are places in the world where you do see that. People feel stressed because modern world has told them 
that you need to worry about tomorrow. But you can imagine that a person in a simple society would just go out, you know, whatever there is to do and sell a cow and, I don't know, do something simple, have money. It's not like there would be anything wrong with having too much money, too much too many resources so that would last for tomorrow, but they wouldn't necessarily be worked. It's not a worry, it's not a concern, it's not the goal of the day when you go out to collect things to make sure that you have extra. There is a, there is a precept in the Torah called Tamimut. Tamim tiyayim Hashem alokecha. Tamim tiyayim Hashem alokecha and Parshat Shoftim says that you need to be like innocent in front of God. Like innocent means in the sense of now, there's a different uh, connotation there, but, but basically it has this idea of like, you, you don't have to do all kinds of things to worry about what's going to be, right? You do what you do, and you, you, you are uh, you're asked to, to believe and to trust that God will provide whatever it is that you need. Or if, or if it's, you know... Um, in that case, in the Torah, it's actually talking about using, you know, extra extraordinary measures to try to figure out what's going to happen. Like divination and stuff? Yeah, right. So don't do that kind of funky stuff to try to figure out what's going to be because whatever will be, will be, and that's, you know, it's in God's hands. You don't, you don't need to do things that are, like, um, questionable. Don't do questionable things, which is like necromancy and things like that. You know, the tries kind of borders on sorcery and witchcraft and things that the Torah doesn't like because there's there's no real, real reality there. So you're just like hanging your hat on something that you have no real reason to believe in. So you're selling your soul for like a little bit of uh, tranquility that's uh, that's might or might not be true. Mm-hmm. The Torah doesn't like that. You know, just like trust in God. Tamim tiyayim Hashem I think it's more than that. I think it comes down almost to the same thing as food. It's it's this desire to, to be in control and to be the one who sets the tone and the measure and everything in the way how, in how things are. People who want to know what's going to be are people who want to be ready for it, want to be in control of the situation, who, who don't want to be taken by surprise, who don't want to be left in uncertainty. Um, but that's really what it is that we're talking about now. It's, it's allowing yourself to be almost naive when it comes to the workings of God and allowing yourself to be taken care of and allowing yourself to believe that what you need will be given to you and that it's not really up to you to provide and to be the one in charge because that's not really how it works. That's really all an illusion that we like to feel. Ultimately, it's not ultimately up to you. It definitely is up to you. I mean, you need to... We're not absolving make... ourselves from responsibility and from right. doing what's prudent. And I wouldn't say that in our day and age it would be a smart idea to just go out to work one day and be like, well, I'll find work tomorrow and that'll be fine. Yeah, but... because it just doesn't... Society doesn't allow for it. It's not that modern I also society. think that we lost that in the desert. I think that's what... Well, that's really what happened even then. I think that it was just too hard for us to do that, to live that way. Mm. We lost it even then, and, I, and since then we've never gone back to that sort of real, day by day. tangible um, existence, hand-to-mouth existence and survival from God to us on, on such a clear level. I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure since then there have been 
I mean, you live yeah, in a society. Yeah, can you think about it? When you look at like Tanakh after the man, once well, we stopped getting in a man. Simple society, in a simple society that's not a modern society, I mean, it was probably pretty common to just go out and work the land or sell a few things. I don't know. What were people doing to exist? They were... I think that's like the Hirschian approach of how, you know, living in cities has really uh, disconnected us from dependence and reliance on God because now we are another step further, further from right. how the natural way of things are and therefore we are more in control and we can drink the food and the thing and we're not exactly. connected to the earth and the natural process of things, which I, I, I agree with. I'm on board with that. But I think that it's just still not on the level that we had in the desert. It's just not the same. Well, yeah. That's I think since then, we, we, we never went back to that sort of state. I think that for humans, it's, it's a lot to ask for. Right. Well, it, I, it's, it, it was an incubation period. It's, it's in, in our tradition, it, was, it wasn't meant to last. It was supposed to be like an incubation period in the sense that uh, it was there to train like a new generation about what it, what it should be like. So it's like you go through a certain amount of training to inculcate God's existence in your national and personal psyche. And then when you go into the land, you are hopefully imbued with this idea that, you know, God is there. God is the ultimate provider. Right. That's the idea. Right. So there's that idea. And then there's the idea about, I thought it was also interesting that the word man, which, you know, mana, uh, it's a funny word. What does it mean, man? So it actually. Do we it, see it in any other? Yeah, it says sense in the Torah? It says it says in in the story of Yonah with the fish. So it says God prepared the fish to come and swallow Yonah. Mm-hmm. So the the word man seems to be prepared. Rashi says uh, on the pasuk that hachanat ochel is man. They they looked at the food. It's interesting in the, the way that it, the word man comes is that the people looked at it. It seems to be described, you can imagine you're in the desert and you wake up in the morning, there's like this, there's this dew le- layer. So it's like kind of wet and moist. And on top of this wet, um, it, I don't know, uh, you know, overlay of the desert floor, there's like this white substance. It seems to look like coriander seed. It's like, Seeds? Yeah. I was just imagining it like Zera just God. fluffy cotton. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Zera God, it says. It says. It's like it describes it as like some kind of a seed, coriander seed, some translate it. And it had a taste of like it was fried in honey. No, I don't know How what that means. How did they get there? Right. So... A lot, I don't know if you have if you want to think of some kind of a rational explanation, maybe there is some rational explanation. Maybe there was some kind of plant that blew in or whatever it was, just like the the slav, the quails. The, if you look, if you research it, there is some kind of a low flying small bird that does started, migrate. Um, Nathan Slifkin's right place that does migrate through the desert. So, you know, and you could actually like kind of catch them because they because they grow you know they fly very low but whatever it is if you if you prefer to having a rationalist explanation or not it's the people are in the desert they've never been in the desert for so long and all of a sudden they realize that they can subsist you know they on this food right 
And God is saying, look, this is food that comes that I'm sending you. And this is what it looks like. Now, when they looked at it, they said, they said to each one person, like they said, what is this stuff? They said, it looks like, man, like manhu, it's man. Now, man, the interesting thing is that Moshe had told them, God, I'm telling you now that you're not going to starve, right? God is going to rain for you from the heavens bread, lechem, which is what we translate as bread. Mm-hmm. Right, but lechem obviously means something a little bit deeper than that. Right, lechem is usually understood as like the basic substance of man. Right, he's gonna mm-hmm. nutrition. He's nutrition. gonna give you nutrition. Right, he's gonna give you something that allows you to to exist. Minash um, from the heavens. So they came out and they saw it and they said, "Manhu, ki loyadu mahu," because they didn't know what it was. They said, "This is man." So what is that? It's like it's like. I don't know, when you don't know what something is, you go like, whatchamacallit? This is like a whatchamacallit. Like, what is this stuff? Like, you know. So Rashi says, what they perceived about it was is that it's hachanat ochel. It's not really ochel itself. It's not food itself. It's like what you do with it, food. It's like, it's like a raw material food. Mm-hmm. It's like, if, you, it's like if, if somebody said, you know, don't worry, um, you, when you're home, you should just know there's going to be food there for you. And you walk in, there's nothing in the apartment except for flour. Right, and this tap water, you know, those things. So, kind of like, oh, well, you mean I'm supposed to make something out of this? Like, like make, right? So, so it does say that they actually prepared later on in the Torah. It says that they took the man and they turned it into different things. Oh, really? Yeah. Bishlu They made it into cakes. Hmm. They cooked it. Notice they did do some preparation on this stuff. It's just like, I mean, I don't know, we could just pop it. I'm imagining like those sesame seed candies, you know, like those, like seeds, you know. those. The ones like the cracker ones, it's just like sesame and honey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are They're very good. hard. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I, I always imagine those like mun candies, you know. <laughs> but, but, you know, imagine like seeds. Like imagine if you just see seeds, you know, that's kind of like a white seed and then somebody's like, mmm. Kind of has like a honey taste, and somebody, some lady says, "Oh well, let's make a cake out of it." And they're like, "Ooh, you know," and so they start doing stuff with it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's so. Then Moshe hears Moshe's response to them. He says, "This is what I said that this is going to be lechem. This is what God said." And as you can imagine, that there was a sense of there was a moment of discovery of like, "Oh, this is what this is what it is." Mm-hmm. And they go like, oh, this stuff you can actually turn into stuff. Like you can turn into food. And Moshe says, yeah, that's it. That's the lechem. Mm-hmm. So what I want to say from here is that the overall, the overall attitude, like a, you know, abstract uh, lesson over here is that food is really what you make out of it. All food. Like the concept of food is very much um, dependent on what you make out of it. In other words, you can have the most fine food, but if your attitude is that um, that you're not really there, you're not really appreciative, you're not really knowing how to integrate the food, it's never it's never really food. It hasn't arrived yet. It's just potential food. You always have that feeling like there's never enough when it's at that moment and at that stage of being like just potential food. It's like, oh, what can I do with this? It's like, oh, I can make a million moves. Like, I could put ketchup, I could put this, I could this, I could, 
I can turn it into this. I can make it like this. And like, and then if you never at any point go like, oh, this is it. This is what I want. This is delicious. This is a, I'm appreciative. I'm very grateful. I, I'm going to say a blessing on it. I'm going to thank God for giving it to me for before I eat it, after I eat it, right? If you never get to that moment like, I'm here. This is, it. This is the ochel that's providing me nutrition. It will always be like a man. It will be like a, a potential, Right? And that's why, interestingly enough, like we said before, the man was given along with laws. Right? Because the food is a means to an end. It's not an end in and of itself. It's, you have to realize that this is a thing that's to make you, to, to push you ahead, to, to provide you to become. Right? That's what ochel is. It becomes part of you so that you can, you can do what you need to do. Right? But at some point in time, you have to say, this is it. This is what the purpose of the food is. It's not some kind of a thing that's going to provide me you know, nirvana and happiness forever. This is the food is not happiness. Food is a means to an end. But it, as a means, you also, a person needs to say, okay, this, this is it. Like, don't get lost in the potential of the food. It's kind of like money. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a potential gaining it's a potential experience it's a potential uh delight pleasure that's going to give me that's going to get me that's going to make me right Mm -hmm. all that um, illusion that we create out of these things that when people get these food fantasies it's really like a kind of chasing happiness as if the food is going to create the happiness Right? Whereas food is just ultimately a stepping stone to make you into what you need to be. Right? It, it's, it's, a, it's a means. The same goes for money and other material acquisitions. It's, it's almost as if money, uh, food is the quintessential... Um, what's, what's the word for like the thing that's the basis? It's like food is the, the quintessential... Enabler? It's, I'm spacing out the word. This whole week this has happened to me. I've just been like spacing out on words. But it's, it's what, it's what describes, it's like the common denominator. Like, consumption. Like there's food, there's clothing, there's money, there's all these means of consumption. And food is like the quintessential example of just something that we all need and we all crave and some of us obviously crave more than others. Some of us enjoy food more than others, which is definitely something that we have in this house. Um, but it's just, it's that way to almost see the, the physical world in this lens of there's, you can take it for what it is and you can enjoy it and invest in it. And then there's, you can enjoy it and use from it, but not to forget that it's, it's the, it's the stepping stone. It's the enabler of mm-hmm. it's, also, it's, it hits so close to home for so many people because it's, because it's the most basic source of need that most of us, that if all of us have, then it, it becomes a very scary thing to let go of that or to really balance that out because we all are wired for survival and for wanting to be and feel good with ourselves and our environment and in control of our life. And, and food definitely falls into that category of the desire to really be on it because right. it's our survival depends on it. I would just say, um, in closing, uh, 
why did you ever notice that i mean food is good it's yummy but generally speaking i think a lot of us feel it's it's enjoyed a lot more when you can eat with someone else when you can eat together people in the world generally mm. speaking look search look for each other to eat together mm-hmm. why i mean have you ever seen a i don't know a hyena i mean they they hunt in packs so they eat together but so they have to work together in order to eat but if you have like a lion in the middle of the desert in the middle of the jungle sorry who finds you could have lions in the desert whatever who finds <laughs> who finds a dead animal there and he's just like oh yeah and he's just like digs in he's like wondering like where everybody else is like or he's just is he eating the same amount you know what i'm saying i don't think they have that i'm not sure i never mm-hmm. asked the lion but there are a lot of scientific studies though that people eat more when they're with other people like people's eating habits change when you're with other people well I, what i what i'm trying to say is that i think eating because it's a shared need it's like kind of like a connector so when you eat and you connect at the same time with somebody else sometimes people are just eating together they're not even talking too much to each other but they kind of feel like accompanied and like more safe in the sense that they they're recognizing their need together mm. you know it it creates a certain higher purpose for the food some kind of a connector in some way or another. Whereas if you're sitting at a table with somebody you never you don't even know who he is, you're basically eating alone. You know, you don't say a word to him. He just happens to be sitting there. You're eating alone. But I'm talking about there's some kind of a connection because of the person that you invited to eat or that you eat or that you know or that you you're just you're doing these act of eating together. Um I think that's actually why in our halakha and our laws we have a special blessing for when people eat together. There's a separate blessing for when people eat together. Of the mazuman. Like when there's a minion? Well, three people, three people eat together, so then there's a special blessing for eating together because it's a separate it's a different experience. It's a separate experience. It's a, it's a it's a it's a more of a connecting experience. The eating brings people together. Well, my point only is is that we're constantly looking for food because we need it but it also the food is a an enabler as it's it's a creator of of experience and of oh it's a creator it's it's it allows us to facilitate if it's a facilitator for other things for other for other bigger things um so i would i would say that in closing i think that when we eat um We need to kind of challenge ourselves and and say how conscious are we when we're eating? Like what are we thinking about? Like ask yourself like what what am I thinking about when I'm eating? Like after that first moment of maybe like a higher conscience like as soon as you dig into that yummy whatever it is, first bite of that delicious juicy hamburger or whatever it is, where does your mind go? Like does it become part of the food like are you imagining the next bite? Like where does your mind go? Like you're saying to yourself, "Oh, this is yummy. I'm thinking about my taste and what I'm sensing." And then you say like, "Oh, the next bite is going to be even more juicy." You know what I'm saying? We we turn kind of I I don't want to say it so much, but we turn kind of like animalistic, like we become like one 
Maybe with simplistic it. is the word you're looking for? Or we start fantasizing about the food itself. That's what I'm saying. It's like you, you, your mind isn't going to, very often, if, we don't, if we're not conscious about it, our mind isn't going to higher places. It's going into the food. It's simplistic. It's like instead of, instead of um, being beings of thought, like we were talking about yesterday, um, we kind of just simplify ourselves into this one moment, this one experience, this one almost vacuum of Well, you're nothing. saying it in a nice way, but I mean, there is a story. I just don't remember the whole story, so I can't say. But basically, there's like this great, you know, spiritual leader is, is telling his students to watch this particular person who's eating and they should describe what they see. And the, basically, the, the bottom line of the story is that what they see is like a guy eating a cow who turns into a cow. You know, it's basically like he's in the, like a cow chewing grass. It's just like he's thinking about the chew, you know, he's thinking about his chewing and then whatever he's thinking about it. But the point is you just become one with your food. The idea is not to become one with your food. The idea is to transcend your food. So if you can become actively conscious what you're eating, it's a whole different experience. The blessing on food is so key when you think about it we wouldn't have blessings we would like we would be totally there would be no break in the, in that sense but at least you get a higher feeling when you make a blessing it brings you to a different plane that this food is for something it's accomplishing something you know I'm, it's a means to an end i'm just i'm not in the food i'm just doing it for something if a person keeps that i think people end up i think we end up eating better if we maintain that consciousness Instead of like losing yourself into one more bite, if I have that one cheesecake, then that on that sensation is going to be worth, you know, another. You know what I'm saying? Just that's where we lose ourselves. It sounds a little bit like the Shabbos thing that we were talking about earlier. It's like that the bracha on food is like the Shabbos of the week. It's that thing that we do to break, <clears throat> to break routine and to take the opportunity to become conscientious of the higher purpose of things. Yeah, if you want to say it that way. But that's the challenge for eating. I think it's, uh, I think it would solve a lot of issues that we have with eating if we maintain our conscious selves when we eat. Like, what are we eating for? Why are we eating? What's the purpose? Gratefulness. You know, there's a gratefulness also that allows you to enjoy in, mm -hmm. but in just in a different way right we're going to call it now call it a wrap a wrap but um <laughs> call it a sandwich <laughs> fun fact everybody sandwiches came from this man called the earl of sandwich who just i think was addicted to gambling so he would tell people to just eat in a way that he doesn't have to stop. So he would just stick things in bread. And that's how the sandwiches became a thing. And that's a wrap, my friends. We hope that our conversation inspired you and gave you something to chew on. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, topics you'd be interested in discussing, and even triggers so we can generate more relevant and meaningful conversation. You can contact us at fdhp.feedback at gmail.com and we are wishing you a blessed week and we'll catch you next time.